Jerry, do you need to be in character? I'm okay. I'm good. You know what? I'm a profesh. I got this. <laughs> Professional. Uh, <laughs> when did you start getting paid? <laughs> <laughs> And with that, I want to welcome you into the non-paid Crashing Game Night. My name is Matt Diorio. On tonight's episode, the creative director for The Division from Ubisoft, Julian Garrity, will be Crashing Game Night. I welcome in my co-host, as always, Gerard Barrera. Hello, my fellow nerds. The cage God, is out man. of his cage. It's out of his cage. So welcome out of his cage. me wow. back. Hello. And uh, we are joined by our sidekicks, Theo Walski and Jason Badadil. How are you guys Some, doing tonight? Somebody put Cage back in his cage <laughs> so he can stop making really bad movies. Uh, how's it going, y'all? How's it going? What's yeah, going on? It's, it's it's going. You know, it's been a week. It has been a week. I'm, I'm ready for it to be the 20th so I can play some Link's Awakening on the bus. Yeah. Um, are you going to be able to... But you're not going to be able to have that before you go to work tomorrow. So Not tomorrow, no. But at least I'll have it for the plane ride next week. Yeah, oh, there you go. The plane ride. And we'll definitely talk about Link's Awakening a little bit and uh, the Switch here a little bit later. Jerry, is that, a, uh, is that a Batman Beyond shirt you're wearing over there? Yes, it is. A Funko Batman Funko. Beyond shirt. Nice. Yeah, because Jerry, Funko, got, Jerry, Jerry got me the same one. Yeah. I have two. Uh-huh. Is that a uh, Comic-Con exclusive? It no. is not, actually. Um, I think it's like a Target, Target exclusive, isn't it? Yeah, it was a Target. Yeah. It was Target a Target. Sorry, Target. 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 Feel fancy in French. <laughs> oh, actually, no, no, no. It was, a, it was a GameStop. Oh, was it GameStop? Yeah, it was a GameStop. I got it. Oh, okay. Getting those GameStop exclusives before they completely go under? Yeah, yeah. For now. Dude, no, their their CEO came out over the last week and said that they're they're hurting, and they're hurting bad. Uh, they're having to close. They they're having to close stores now. Are they really? They, yeah, he's looking oh, yeah, at the closure of stores. Oh, man. Um, and he's they're they're trying to hold out for the new consoles, but I don't know if games. I don't think there's enough moxie in the gaming industry to save them for a year and a half. Right. Um, I mean, at least the current model. Well, you know what? I think it really depends on what games are coming out and how popular they're going to be. Is that's going to determine like how how much sales they're going to have to kind of like skate by or survive. Because mm-hmm. I think I think they're going to be fine once the new consoles come out. Obviously, more and more people are going to be interested in those, and they'll have more traffic coming through. I think, but. Yeah, I'm kind of not surprised, you know, I'm not. That's dude. I worked for Blockbuster. I know how this I know how this song and dance goes. Yeah, (laughs) you think you're going to be able to to save it and do little things here and there. But ultimately, once the first flush has happened and you start circling the drain. You're You're done. You're done. done. (laughs) Hate to say it. It kind of sucks, though, because, like, that's, I mean, I would like to have at least one. (laughs) I would like to have at least one, like, option of, like, I mean, who knows? There might be, I I know a couple mom and pop shops that are around, but once again, I don't know if they're going to be surviving. But uh, I at least want one 
you know, actual shop for us to like for us gamers okay. to be able to go let's, instead of let's buying discuss, online. You know, we've talked about this. I just counted it. I have eleven stores within a ten mile radius of me. Yeah, I see, definitely like, don't have that many. I have. I mean, it, like, I mean, really so short making the point say, like two. But are you making the point within like that means <clears throat> they should be closing stores down because oh, they're so freaking many? Absolutely, and I think having that many stores has actually led them to the predicament they're in. But no Starbucks. No. Yeah, they're not. Yeah, yeah. That's a different. That's a different beast. Yeah. Oddly enough, oddly enough, there's we two know Starbucks they, yeah. right near two GameStops for me. They're like two and a half miles apart. <laughs> and you go to each and every one of them, don't you? Actually, so I don't go by. I don't go to the Starbucks by the house anymore. Oh yeah, yeah. Right, they kept right, messing right. up my orders enough. Oh. So I hit one up that's literally on the way to work that actually can get their orders straight. <laughs> so funny, you know. But hey, so let's let's talk about things tonight. Breaking, let's break it out into the movies first with uh, some news about J.J. Abrams was actually approached by Apple to do content development for them for Apple TV+. Plus. It was rumored to be $500 million. Only $500 million? What are you, what are you doing making noise? What are you putting in a box? Putting stuff in boxes. You know, there's a mute thing. You know, mute button. We can hear you. Uh-oh. He just muted himself. Now he's just not going to talk. <laughs> he's a Muppet now. He ain't got no voice. <laughs> <laughs> but anyway, so he turned it down. Five hundred uh, million on the million? table, turned it down, and he ended up going with a deal with Warner Brothers that hasn't been disclosed as far as the financial terms. But it, he's going to end up being able to do exclusive content, games, and other media. Ultimately, yeah. he wanted to be able to share his work with everybody, <clears throat> and that's usually that's not really. I mean, it's it's not Apple's mo. Like, if you're going to do something for Apple, it should go through Apple. I get that, but um, I mean, wouldn't that be the same case with any streaming services original? Yeah. Stuff? Like, say, like Hulu, well, did the same thing. That's true. Well, not or, not like, if it would have been the same thing. Not if uh, you were Apple and you're about to launch your Apple TV Plus. Yeah. Well, I'm pretty no. sure if like if it wasn't Apple TV Plus well, or whatever, if yeah. it was Hulu saying they wanted to hire J.J. Abrams for original content, he wouldn't be able to sell it anywhere else. See, I think but where Hulu. this is, I think where this is going to come into play is for Warner Brothers is that yes, it's going to be exclusive content, which is Warner Brothers is getting ready to launch their own streaming service. Yeah. Um. He's going to be able to develop games, which I can only imagine the type of video game that would come out of J.J. Abrams. Explosions. More explosions. Dude, no. Lens flare, man. It's all lens flare. And then you'll see a random R2-D2 floating across the screen. Um, So, I don't know. We'll see. Um, It's an interesting time in the streaming world right now because... Netflix just lost The Office and Friends. So Friends is going to be on NBC's exclusive streaming service. The Office is going to be on Warner Brothers. And Netflix just coughed up $500 million to have the worldwide exclusive streaming rights for Seinfeld. Hmm. This is going to suck. 
I mean, everybody's going into streaming services now. I mean, yeah, but that's but, but that, this is the problem. Like this, this is what this is exactly what happened when we got our cable boxes. There's so there were so many cable uh, companies and like offering so many different offers. This is going to hurt us as the consumer, tr- making us think. Uh, or or kind of uh, choose which one is best for us when we were we were already in in my eyes we were already in like a really good sweet spot you know we had Netflix Hulu Amazon like mm-hmm. kind of the big three to yeah. to choose from or have them all and then they all like offered something different so but now all these companies all these studios want their piece of the pie. And like now we're gonna have to be play the waiting game and see which one falters out and well, which ones are gonna gonna become the standard or the norm, so it get gets back to normal. Or, I think we're I think where we're gonna get hurt as a consumer is is that you have so many people cutting the cords right so to speak and getting rid of their cable boxes, mm-hmm. um, which mm-hmm. Comcast out here charges on a lot a lot of money to add on TV service. I mean, we were looking, unless we had the triple th- play deal, which locked you in a contract, it was going to be 150 bucks to have 400 megabit per second internet and TV. So mm-hmm. instead of adding on that extra like 80 bucks, you know, we can cut some of that out and go with the streaming services that we want. You know, Hulu for yeah. five bucks, six bucks, you know, um, Disney Plus, um, I will be picking that up and I'll get the the 12.99 package and... And you know, Apple Apple TV Apple, Plus is four ninety nine for five. For five that's, bucks, a, that's a great you know? price point. Yeah. So, I but, think. But the downside is like, where does it end? Well, I think what we're going to end up seeing is companies like Comcast and stuff are going to start upping their internet only options in terms of price. It's a possibility. That's that's possible. Mm-hmm. So. But they're they're gonna have to be okay with probably down like also downsizing because that's gonna get rid of their their cable like their their um yeah their cable boxes well, and not even necessarily. their hard because, lines and stuff because most people are going straight wireless. But they're gonna get money. They're gonna get money out of uh, NBC's dedicated streaming service though, because they own it's NBC and Universal. Yeah, and AT so, owns Spectrum and all that. Yeah, I know that. I mean, that's possible that they'll survive, but it's still it's going to be super convoluted with all of these services. You know, what are we like? What are we the consumer going to do? I just think I just think it's it was we were at a sweet spot, and now we're seeing the tidal wave of everyone wanting their piece of the pie, where we are not. We're not going to be able to enjoy all of the things that we want because everything's going to be separated now. Oh. And you're going to have to – there's an app for that. There's an app for it. Yeah, there's an app for that. There's an app for everything. Warner Brothers, ABC, CNBC, mm-hmm. like History Channel, all of them are going to have their own services, all, their own price points. Mm-hmm. Now you're really going to have to decide like what's most important to me or what gives me more bang for my buck where – you know, I can I can honestly see people not wanting to do Apple TV Plus because uh, they're maybe they don't want original content. They want what they have been watching or have been following on like regular TV. Yeah. But original content really appeals to me. 
because I want to see original stories and something new. So like instead of rehashed, retold, rebooted, which TV shows or other stuff like that. Yeah. So I'm more interested in Apple TV plus, but not everybody isn't. So like, what about Hulu? Like Hulu has contracts with everyone. Now what's going to happen with Hulu if they're going to lose like all of those TV shows and contracts with those studios. So Hulu is actually owned 75% by Disney. Oh, well, that's why it's going and on Disney Plus. The other, the other part of it is owned by Comcast, which Comcast is selling their minority interest in it for. I don't remember the contract terms of what they're getting out of it for giving that up, but you know, I mean, Hulu, I can see still staying around enough because of you know it's cheap. You can get advertising money out of it. Um, now, really quick, so we were talking about you know original content versus reboots, right? Sony's yeah. head of pick the picture side has stated that there are a quite a few high powered actors. They, he didn't name any that want to reboot or redo princess bride. Oh God. I don't when, like that. When is enough enough? You know, they keep going back into the eighties for all the good stuff and they keep trying to reboot it. And it keeps coming out horribly. Yeah, Jerry wants original content. Yeah, I mean, I want it, but there's no creativity in Hollywood right now. There isn't. There hasn't been in in a very long time, unless they try something new or like. I I honestly think more and more companies are going to give like video game adaptations a a more of a more of a chance, basically out of necessity because all they're doing is rebooting franchises or trying to reboot like old 80s movies and stuff like that so uh yeah it's getting harder and harder i think yeah i know i mean it's 2019 now i mean come on guys like we are getting so much more and more pc that we're like we don't have that freedom it's like oh <laughs> that's true like, that is you really can't true. things that happened in the 80s are like oh let's rehash it because it's something that worked back then yeah. but then now but all, put the 2019 yeah. spin on it like all the all the like Could you all imagine Disney like all the Disney live action movies that have been coming out like I'm kind of refusing to go watch them just because like I knew what I liked back then like you know what Aladdin Aladdin was good I, like I, I think the they Beast. all were good I think they were all were good but were they were they like scene for yeah. scene. You well, know, no, they definitely had their changes. Cause, I mean, like Aladdin, but, you're but impa- those, you're you're yeah. boosting women empowerment. Uh, Beauty and the Beast mm-hmm. was the first uh, Disney movie with an openly gay character. I mean, well, that was kind of questionable because uh, yeah. that also questioned whether or not he was gay in in the original movie too. Because there were mm-hmm. there were you know what I mean, but. To be quite it's, honest, those were still all wasn't like, made apparent. <laughs> very true. Very, very, yeah. very true. But the thing was, like in all of those live action movies, they were changed. Basic, like those subtle they differences. I agree with. They were they were changed for the time. They changed for twenty nineteen. Yeah, for me yeah. and like as a moviegoer, they worked, and they still like for most of the movies. Like you can you can put the original movie and it would closely be shot for shot probably well, except for Maleficent. Cause that was more of a separate Lion like, King was 
virtually shot for shot. Yeah, Lion yeah. King was shot for Lion shot. Lion King, yeah. uh, Beauty and the Beast was very close. There was, like I said, subtle differences. Um, we, know Mulan, we know Mulan won't be shot for shot because they admitted to not having Mushu from Mulan. Yeah, Mulan's going to probably be the first like really different. Mm-hmm. They're probably going to make that a completely original for 2019. Yeah, but I, going back to the original thing though you know like why are we rebooting all these old ones because well like, 2019 is okay, here but now, there's like, some movies you just don't was, touch goonies that, but that was also Princess that was Friday. also a request by walt disney yeah that was the whole point like that was the whole point he created the vault he said like after the certain decades put them in the vault but then bring them back out because it i want them redone generationally for children because these stories mm-hmm. are still impactful but make them for our time so that's why they're starting to do nothing but live actions now is because it's around that time where you know they get access the technology to technology for it yeah mm-hmm. but i, I think so honestly, that way though, it stays alive with another generation exactly so they I mean, stay alive do you, really, do you really want mo- great movies like aladdin lion king and such to just to die with our generation yeah and to stay they won't. Yeah, because they won't. because the ones so, that we Prince watched is- we're going to show our kid. Now, Princess Bride and Goonies needs to stay with our generation. It doesn't need to be remade. That that I agree. Uh, Those two movies, I, I yes. I would agree with that. It, but, I mean, come on. But, they but tried like, it with this Footloose generation, and it didn't work. This generation just doesn't understand is, yeah. that kind of comedy and no, no, and, and acting and everything. I they'll do, they'll they just be really immediately turned off by the quality of the, the, the film rate and everything. No. And they just won't find it as funny. Granted, I think the the part of this generation that loves Will Ferrell may enjoy that comedy. I I personally hate Will Ferrell, but I love Princess Bride. Will Ferrell wasn't even in Princess Bride, though. So no, I know. No, I mean the I, type I, of comedy. I, I, yeah, oh yeah, I, I get what you're saying. Type the type of, of I think, comedy you're like. I honestly don't want anybody but Billy Crystal playing Miracle Max. You know, I don't want anybody else running around other than Manny Patinkin going, yeah, I'm a Nigo Montoya. This has always been my kind of like my my kind of stance on like rebooting movies. I think it depends on the movie and the impact it's had on culture. Like Princess Bride and Goonies have been forever a cult classic and have jump shotted generation to generation like those movies were shown to kids growing up like, Oh yeah, I know Goonies. Yeah. My dad made me watch it. It was awesome. Like, and that's also why we got the birth of like stranger things and stuff like that. Those should not be touched. But I was actually just talking to my roommate about this. Like there are movies that would be interesting to be redone and maybe even recast and like kind of played with like demolition man. Well, what, well even not even just older Action. movies. What An about 80s. movies that failed? Like, uh, Even that we're, we're getting another reboot of Fantastic Four because every single one before it has failed because it wasn't with uh, Marvel. Speaking of Fox, so speaking of Marvel and Fox and, and oh, all that's of that, the exact reason. Let's, but sure, <laughs> let's talk about Theo's shirt there, the Avengers, right? So there is now come out a deleted scene from the very first movie that started all Iron Man, Iron in Man which Man. Nick Fury references a couple of future events. And he says, I quote, 
As if gamma accidents, radioactive bug bites, and assorted mutants weren't enough, I have to deal with a spoiled brat who doesn't play well with others and wants to keep all of his toys to himself. Hmm? Yeah. Man, why That's couldn't crazy. they have just gotten everybody together and played nice? Because that would have Thanks foreshadowed so a whole lot. You could have had Scarlet Witch be the real Scarlet Witch instead of have her be a miracle, you know? Yeah. So... Well, It'll be that, interesting. Those, to, those were little patches to patches. They had to because Sony because, because they weren't allowed to use that yep. word, and they were not allowed yeah, to reference yeah. Magneto. Um, so we'll just have to see how the new Avengers Phase Four goes. See how they introduce some things. Um, and on the other side with DC, talked about that. Um, Tom Welling is going to reprise Smallville Clark Kent for Crisis on Infinite Earth. Which I, I guess, really think is going to be amazing. I honestly think this crossover with how many people are being brought into the mix for this thing, I think they're sending Arrow out on a bang. Mm. That's exactly what it is. A quick bang. <laughs> I mean, I'm sorry. I, like, I'm, I'm, not, I'm not riding that gravy train. Uh, as as much as you guys like I the moment I felt like uh, the CW was uh, trying to patch Arrow as like the Batman figure I they lost me like I'm sorry they the lost me couple, Arrow the first couple season seasons were four. great but yeah yeah I think season that's around the time I, I stopped because that's yeah. when I'm like give me a break man like mm-hmm. just just grow some grow some huevos and just make a Batman television show like and put some money behind it. And most likely people are going to be behind it, but other than, but not Gotham just got not Gotham for God's sake. So the only thing I'm looking forward to for crisis on infinite earth is seeing Tom Welling suit back up as Superman. Hmm. Now the question is, which version are we going to get? Are we going to get the blur or are we going to get where he's finally fully suited up? Like at the end of season 10, Imagine no way, man. I'm 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 thinking season ten. They're not gonna blur it because they're trying to go. Um, Like I said, they're trying to go out with a bang, and they're putting every all their all their cards in one in one deck for this. And Brandon Routh is gonna be the Kingdom Come Superman. Yeah. Um. They're really like trying to end this with a big bang. Like that's why I think it's all just sugarcoating. Like they need to get rid of that show. Flash is still doing well because Flash has always had its own like kind of heart. Oh, it's but, it's, it's still good. Uh, yeah, a lot of people now. still say like it's still really good. I'm, on top I'm of like Arrow, what's going I'm on, over Supergirl. Yeah. I'm not looking forward to Batwoman. Like no, just and it's already leave, leave me by Flash. Getting, oh, that's yeah, right. And you're gonna have it's already getting hit hard with oh, with yeah. uh, critics too. They oh, do yeah. not like it. So there's only one thing I'm truly ultimately, though, above Tom Welling suiting back up, looking forward to, is that Kevin Conroy is going to be on screen. Oh, yeah. Old Batman. As old Bruce Wayne. Bruce Wayne. Yeah, from from Batman Beyond. <laughs> I, I, would, I don't know if they're going to show Batman Beyond, but uh, I but I think he's going to be like that point in, in that verse. Mm-hmm. Like, yep. So, so he might mention... Um, yeah, oh, I forgot. I mean, at least, but at least that would kind of make sense with timeline and age of Batwoman. Well, I, I think no. Well, so I don't think 
this is the Bruce Wayne of the current era. I think this is alternate universe Bruce Wayne that they're bringing in. Because I mean, they like when they did have the crossover. Like she definitely talked about it being her. Um, she phrased him as the cousin, but it was always her best friend being Bruce. Yeah. And then well, doesn't necessarily convey no. age. No, and I think that's because Batman's already been referenced a couple of times during Arrow. So I don't think you're going to have the Kevin Conroy one. Is I think it's going to be the futuristic, you know. No, he's going like to be Jared older because that still kind of goes. No, 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 no. What I mean, the, the older version where he instructs Terry and you get yeah, Batman Beyond. Yeah, I think it's going to be still, that universe. He still lines in with mm-hmm. the timeline because he's an older Batman. For that Therefore, one, yeah, but he, he's yeah. not the age-appropriate Batman for Arrow, Arrow's Earth, so to speak. No, because he's, he's supposed to yeah. be a lot younger. Correct. So I think, which, yeah. Which technically, I mean, if, if a younger Batman was there, he would be seeing an older version of himself with. So technically, it still works. So with Conroy being older Batman or older Bruce Wayne. So speaking of Sony, let's look at their uh, let's talk about their uh, the gaming division. Uh, we're going to get a state of play on the 24th. I don't know how much this really matters after Tokyo Game Show because they showed off quite a bit. And, you know, 80 minutes of Death Stranding. I mean, how much more do we need to see of that? <laughs> uh, I don't know, man. Uh, I think they can still surprise. I, I Hopefully they surprise some people. And well, I hope we see something on Last of Us. At least some t- some titles that we've been waiting to hear mm-hmm. on, like Ghost of Tsushima. Yes. Last I mean, of Us 2. Ghost of has been be, quiet for two years now. Yeah. And uh, hopefully, or or hopefully we get to see some some specs or at least a, a model of the well, PS5 and what's, a lineup or something. Like There is a rumor circulating around right now. Um, and the sort, I mean, granted, take it with a grain of salt, but the guy who's leaked it out is also, was, his credibility is there because he leaked all the, the Switch Lite stuff before it even went public is that there's rumor that Sony's looking at launching a PS5 and a PS5 Pro at launch. Oh, like the 2060? Man, everyone's everyone's following the Apple suit. Uh, what, what Does it say anything I mean, about like the differences on it? Or? No, he hasn't they said anything. They were going to come out with a Pro anyways, so why really wait? Well, yeah, I, you know what? Pro. Yeah, you're right, and, but at least... At least we're getting it at launch and not waiting waiting yeah. for it. That's yeah, you're right. You're right. I mean, it's I think they have been coming out with pros. It's, it's going to sound like the PS3 2060 all over again, though. You know, the mm. 20 gig and the 60 gig. Uh, well, with yeah. that with that price, yeah. Well, yeah. Hopefully, they don't have that price point at at launch. Honestly, for me, we were talking about this at work today, and you know, now that I have the PS4 Pro, along with Theo and Jerry. Um, mm. Honestly, I think I'll be able to wait a little bit, you know, once the PS5 comes out, because I think it's going to launch higher than four hundred dollars. I was going to I was going to wait just to I'm save thinking, up. And like, yeah, I'm thinking it's going to launch at five or six hundred for I what they want to depend on what games end up coming out first year or first couple months. Like it's going to be backward, I, it's backwards. I don't think that's going to. Yeah, I don't think that's going to 
matter. No, I don't. I don't matter. I don't. It will matter. matter I, I, backwards compatible. If like there is a title, a launch title that is like got me extremely hyped, I would seriously consider getting it. But what no. if that launch title was available for PS4? Oh, then I'll wait. No, no, I no, I'd wait. I'd wait for PS5. All right. That's why, like, I would pro, I would save up for it depending on the on the line. Like, yeah, I'm, I agree with with Theo, but. And like how long? How long did it? Did that even happen with PS4 and PS3 transfer? Like, I mean, no, PS3 wasn't what, compatible what, with the PS4 at all. No, but I mean, what titles yeah, were launched on both platforms while they were available? Like zero. zero. So four, exactly. yeah, yeah, four. Well, I would, had, I would, like I wouldn't foresee five having any titles that would also be launched on four. Yeah, Last of Us remastered. I think maybe. And Uncharted Four, like that's what but that was. Big selling but that was for. already on three first, and then yeah. it was just re-released later on, on. Yeah, but there was Sony has not done any cross-launch titles, right? So I wouldn't foresee any. That's Nintendo's bucket, you know, bucket. Which, speaking of that, Link's Awakening. Yes. I only got I got two more hours to kill. Jason, are you gonna get it? Uh, Did you get it digital? Not yet. I'm not. We're not gonna get it right away. Uh, no, you, you can pick it up early at your store, right, Jerry? That's why you get it in yeah. two hours. Yeah, I get it in two hours. Uh, I hate you. <laughs> I'll get mine tomorrow. I'm. Yeah. Yeah. Not planning not, on picking it up right away. I mean, we're still. We just. Mine's in the mail. We're still working. We're still working yeah. on the, the original games and stuff like that. Well, we Got also have sw- we have the Switch Lite coming out tomorrow too. Gotta, oh, I don't oh, yeah. for that, fuck that. But um, uh, I, I honestly contemplated. Uh, I got a chance to put a pre-order down for the Pokemon one. Oh, and that I, one. I, the special yeah, edition? And I, yeah, the special edition. I honestly played around with the fact of like maybe just buying it and putting it online because I know that would I would get my money back and more. You want to know what this like? Probably the saddest reason why I went with 2.0 and not waited for the light. Because I was seriously considering getting the light, especially since really? I only ever play handheld. Like I rarely ever play it docked. Mm-hmm. Oh, okay. Why? Saddest reason is that the 2.0 already comes with the dock for charging. The light does not. You'd have to buy a third-party dock. <laughs> <laughs> well, you can get. But you can't. The... But you can't dock it, though, can you? It, it, no, it, you it, can't well, even no, dock, dock it. for charging. Yeah. Oh. Uh, <laughs> well, here's the thing, though. They already oh, make okay. a little travel charger stand for the Switch, which is what I brought with me to E3. I mean, the, um, the yeah, whole point is Theo's like Theo's the same that you it's, don't have to buy another accessory. You don't have to Apple it, it up. It, you don't have yeah, to. Yeah, Apple yeah. It up. <laughs> but here's the other thing: is is that with the classic 2.0, is the battery life is going to be two hours longer than the Switch Lite. So yeah, I mean, uh, like, but most is, is a very rare occasion that I'm ever playing for like three plus hours straight away from a wall outlet. A flight. Like I said, rare occasion that's yeah. been, and even for a frequent occasion of flights, that's what seven times for me this mm-hmm. year. I mean, I thought about it just from a sure portability standpoint because like you theo i play mine more in portable mode than i do yeah. dock mode it's mine i just like um, it's supposedly a, a better fit in the pocket but i mean like either way you'd probably still carry it in a case but the case either way the cases are really bulky 
Honestly, yeah. the only way it was going to be a true game changer for me to get a light is if the form factor changed on it a little bit and it was more like a Vita in terms of curvature on the sides. So, you know, like a Vita, right? You can fit it in yeah. your hands and ergonomically it fits beautifully. Oh, okay. So a little bit oh, smaller. Okay. So that way it fits yeah. in the and palm. More rounded. So you're like, you're, you're just yeah. sitting right in that sweet spot, right? So... Uh-huh. I don't know. I mean, my cousin's getting one, so I'm gonna ask him how he he thinks about it. Um, Matt's getting one. No, Adam. Adam. Or Adam. One. Yeah, sorry. Adam. Yeah, Adam's getting one. Speaking um, to Matt, good sir. You're speaking. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> no, good sir. You're talking to Fernando. <laughs> Fernando. Fernando. Um, no, I, honestly though, for for me though, is I like the fact that I can dock it. I can play with it if I need to. You know. On it on well, the, the TV. Yeah, I mean and, that's why it was that was the easiest decision for me is because I actually I play it docked at my desk or I do handheld, but I do prefer docked, like playing like on my PlayStation and uh, yeah that's why it was an easier fit for me. I was and I've already tried going handheld. It does not work for me. I've never <laughs> been a handheld guy. It just ne- yeah, it just never worked. I, that's why I, I love like the Switch. Handheld. I still have my 3ds. Uh, I had I had a 3ds for a few months. Hardly used it. Like uh, once I got yeah. done playing Mario and Zelda, I was like, I'm not well, using. I, this I kept much it anymore. for the replayability of Zelda. Like I still have my Zelda games and Mario games for 3ds, and purely that's it. I only have what, that, Pokemon, Zelda, and Mario, and that's all 3D, I have for 3ds. Thanks to the 3D, actually, for me getting the 3ds, that got me into Pokemon, because I tried, I was like, what games should I try? And, like, I think my roommate suggests, dude, start Pokemon. Which one haven't you played? Like, I haven't played any of them. So I started on <laughs> X. I started on X and went from there, and I became a fan. But Wait, uh, so you never played original red or blue no, Pokemon? Because I didn't have handhelds. No. Oh, you're dead to me. I'm not tr- <laughs> I am not trading like? a single Pokemon to you ever. <laughs> <laughs> I, but that's the problem. I wasn't good with handhelds. Like I had a PSP I had like a version one PSP for like a month and I was like, I can't do it. Like I don't I don't utilize it enough. Yeah. So, yeah, I couldn't do handhelds. That's why I like the Switch. And, like, if I don't have my Switch, I have my iPad. Like, I'm good. <laughs> so, it was a, yeah, it was a bummer. I couldn't get into handhelds because I always just went went home, played, and then I just, yeah, I didn't take them with me, unfortunately. So, yeah. Yeah, I mean, there's times that I can all game for a couple hours with a classic. But to Theo's point, though, I can understand that that point of view. I just I like the ability to just go dock it on my TV if I want to. You know. Yeah, I like I, I like having that kind of a choice, and then and you know that's the whole point of it being called Switch. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, yeah. So this week we got to go hands on with Borderlands finally. Borderlands. Hmm. I mean, we Jay- technically got hands most on it. Yeah. Most of you Well, but the full version. I mean, Jason's been over there playing Tetris 99. Yo. because Jason, which, for some um, reason, doesn't like Borderlands. Oh, it's not that I don't like Borderlands. You guys already have the full four, you know? And no? then if you... Because then if, like, Why one of us... Why does it have us, to be limited to four? 
Because you can only have four in a party at once. No, I know at once, but I mean, like, you're the guys that you play FF14 with, is it only six? Like, yes, it's only six at a time. Okay, eight at a time. But is it only, but is your whole group only eight? Yes. Your whole group's only eight? It was, yeah. Wow. Because if, if any, uh, we weren't, we weren't hardcore. We weren't one of those world's first pushers. If we, and even still, those world first, they only have their set eight because you have that dynamic. I mean, the one thing is with Borderlands, you know, if the four of you guys play, for example, you would level up all at the same time. Nah. <laughs> well, roughly. Roughly, yeah. Roughly. Let's say roughly. But, like, if I couldn't make it, like, let's say for one week and you guys played three times, there's already going to be a level of difference. Mm. But we you know, catch you up, though. I know. I get that. But, you know, it's just when I was playing Borderlands 2 with uh, two of my other buddies, like, we'd only play when all three of us played. We would land, we literally would land up and just play. But, you know, it's, it's, it's a, for me personally, I don't like it because then, you know, if I get sidetracked by Tetris 99 or, Dude, try to try to try to something else, me, anything else. Try to platinum or, or Link's War. Awakening. You guys yeah. gave me so much crap about playing Tetris ninety nine all the time, but Jason understands Yo, you know, get, what it's got, all about. I got that W already, man. <laughs> I have it down. Yep. I have it downloaded, and I still haven't opened that thing up. I haven't yeah. tried it either. Yeah. You, you oh, I just heard a switch fire up. Maybe. But I mean, like <laughs> that's it's for for multiplayers and stuff like that where you have that team. Like uh, I've been so used to saying, "Hey, like we all play at one time or we don't play at one time." Dude, and I think just, just, just a personal thing. Personal one thing. of these nights, I think we need to do like during the podcast, we all play Mario Kart together. Oh my god, that would be awesome. <laughs> We probably have to put a disclaimer myself. about profanity because yeah, I won't really be able to resist. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, oh, really quick, especially Let's... Matt with his blue shells all the time. Uh, no, I don't do blue shells. It's green and reds. Get it right. Because oh, blue shells blue shells are for last place, Jerry. Um... <laughs> <laughs> I can't really. Hence my frustration. I can't really. I get that. Fight that. No, I can't really. Like that. I'm not that good. <laughs> I mean, I'm used to I'm used to being up in the front with Eva, going toe to toe with her, trying to beat her. Dude, she just she owns me at that game. Mm. I mean, it is. She's like one of those pitchers in baseball where they just own a team. Mm. Doesn't matter, who, you know, oh, yeah. what the lineup is. They just own the team. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> with me. <laughs> um, but you know, Borderlands. I'm having. F- it's fun. It is a lot of fun. The guns are ridiculously stupid, though, because there's just so many of them. Like Billions I spend more guns. time. I spend more time in menus swapping guns and looking at the guns than I do playing the game. That's think, why. Like I think one of the things to focus on is like get guns that you're uh, that you're okay with. But that's why I'm farming for legends, man. Like if you yeah, find that's legends, that's at. when you're going to stick to it. Like you once you legends. find a few legends, you're going to stick with those guns. Like more, more often than not, legendaries tend to stay around the same role. It's not too varied on the random role. Yeah. Yeah. But there's a million guns in this game. <laughs> oh yeah. Oh yeah. yeah. And they've increased the amount of legendaries. Like the legendaries are, are massive. So you might yeah. as well just yeah. kind of stick to purple or better 
and either walk yep. over the stuff that drops or pick it up just to sell. So overall, I mean, what are your guys' impressions of Borderlands? For me, uh, it's... I'm liking it so far. I, yeah, I, I mean, re- they haven't strayed far away from, like, what the original game was. It's still got that same, like, Borderlands feel. It's it's a lot of fun and crazy. I kind of um, like so far that they've kind of backed off from Claptrap a bit, at well, least so far yeah, in the story. Yeah, that because Randy Pitchford got into it with the voice actor for oh. Claptrap, you know? God. So he's not voice acting for this, so... But it was um, kind of nice, like, not having him around, like, not having him be, like, your companion all the time. Yeah, because I, I can only take him for so long. <laughs> yeah. Because there are times, like, like, dude, I don't need your commentary. Like, I'm trying to play the game or, like, yeah, I, but. Uh, I do like they've done some good variations of the enemies. Like, granted, yeah, like, with any other MMORPG, like, the the enemies are the same thing, but there's yeah. variation. And I think that they've done a great job with the variations. Like even Dude. with, even with the annoying racks, the flying bats or whatever, now that they have, oh, yeah. like, <laughs> that they combined it with, I forget what it was in two, but like they have needler racks that will throw things at you. I think that's awesome. Dude. I love those big, uh, Hulk buster dudes that we had to fight. Yeah. I mean, they were oh. challenging <laughs> and they were <laughs> level. Yeah. The ones you called awesome. like the big daddy looking guys. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. like Big Daddy, you know. Which Dude, in the fight you were not a part of because you were off doing another mission. I fell down a hole. <laughs> no, I'm, ta- I'm talking Jerry. Oh, oh yeah, especially, I up especially the- on that boss fight. Yeah, I showed up yeah. at the last minute. Yeah, just to pick oh, up the loot. I did. I picked up some loot. And then I, I, I like the fact they put a. I, I like that they put General Grievous's little uh, single track car into uh borderlands that was fun to drive around last night. oh yeah i mean and and we did discover yesterday or last night that uh it, it does spawn special stuff for specific people which yes. is not, which is a big thing like destiny has yeah. so that way you're not always stop being all like oh hey everybody stop for a second let's decide who gets stuff and yeah. what and everything like Lots at least you cool. can still just go up and pick stuff up yeah, yeah you're, not, you're not locked in. Right, exactly. So in the realm of looter shooters, um, tonight we've got a special treat for everybody, and we have a interview with the creative director of The Division, uh, Julian Garrity. Julian! Um, for those that don't know him per se by name, um, give you a little backstory on Julian. Um, he was He's been a content creator at Ubisoft. Um, he did that role for three years. Uh, he also was on the intellectual property development team for two years before moving into being the creative director of the crew, which is their racing game. Um, the division one and the division two. Um, so he's taken his time out of his day to enter, you know, join us, talk about his career, talk about, uh, the division. And we, uh, we do ask him, like we do of all our guests, what his favorite game for game night is. Mm. Uh, I am here with Julian Garrity, the creative director of The Division from Ubisoft. How are you doing today, Julian? I'm pretty good. Uh, I'm out of the office a little bit early today to, to do this podcast uh, from home, but also to take care of my dog who's eating something bad again. 
It's not good. Everything going well with with the dog, and the vet checked him out. Great. Uh, the, the vet thinks it's uh, a flu, so I need to keep my eye on him, keep an eye on his respiration. Uh, but uh, it happens when my wife is away on work and he's left alone for a little bit too long. All right. So let's go ahead and jump right on into the questions. So we can get you on with your day and taking care of your dog. So Julian, throughout your career with Ubisoft, you've had many roles. Which do you feel was your most rewarding? Uh, I think the the fortunate thing about Ubisoft is that uh, it allows you to move around in the organization. And my, my objective has always been to see the industry and the creation of video games through different lenses. Uh, but the, the most rewarding by far is working in production, in development teams on uh, games that are coming out. So creative director has been absolutely my ambition since, uh, since uh, applying to get into the industry, and it's uh, absolutely the most uh, rewarding. And that's a great segue, Julian. How did you feel when you moved from doing that intellectual property development side to that creative director side, when you actually got the chance with the crew? Um, it's, it's actually it's not quite as simple as that, because I was in production for uh, up close to six years before that uh, in Shanghai, uh, but working within the team uh, with a marketing angle. Um, so the, the sort of transmedia um, uh, intellectual property development side of things was very interesting, but uh, I really wanted to get back to being integrated with a development team uh, as, a, as a creative director or as a creative person within the dev team. That wasn't a, a big, big uh, change from what I was used to. That's awesome. Jillian, how hard was it moved to being creative director on the crew to doing something like The Division, where you're going from a driving game to more that loot-based third-person shooter? Well, I think the crew, the, the strange thing is that there are a lot of similarities in terms of uh, the type of experience uh, between the crew and The Division. Uh, both of them are open-world, non-linear RPGs. Uh, and uh, that that is a core of the experience that uh, I I love and, and that I've been working on for for the last almost ten years. Uh, so the closer uh, mechanically than than you'd guess at at a first look. Nice. So, of all the games you've been in, involved with a long way, which there's been quite a few, which has been your favorite to actually play after the game has launched? Uh, it's a good question. I think um, I think the Division Two because we knew exactly what we were going for on a very granular level in terms of the shooting experience, the minute-to-minute experience, uh, and being able to play that finally at home uh, and putting in so many hours at at home after having played hundreds and hundreds of hours of it at the office was uh, was very nice. Which specialist did you go with? Did you go with the sharpshooter, demolitionist? Uh, so uh, I play around with all of them, but uh, my favorite is the demolitionist because it was uh, slightly OP, and I think that's what we all look for. If Jerry was with us, he would he would love that because that's his role. I usually I'm the armor sharpshooter, so I'm usually our sit back and clear from the distance for our team when we play. Um, so, Julian, speaking of the division, what the, the funny. 
Yeah. The the funny thing is, is that I, I play on uh, all platforms as well. Um, so I take the time to look at uh, the performance and the experience on Xbox versus PS4, PS4 Pro. Uh, I play mostly PC at the office, but uh, I try and play all of them to have a good idea of where we're landing in terms of um, the, the execution of each platform. Been able to find that sweet spot between the the Xbox, the the PlayStation, and and PC. Uh, I think so. Uh, I think um, for for most things, I think we're we're very well optimized on all platforms. Um, so it's a, it's a good PC experience and a good uh, home uh, on the couch, uh, relaxing on the couch experience too. I'm definitely looking forward to firing it up on my new PS4 Pro just to see what the difference is between the standard PS4 and the Pro. Definitely something I'm looking forward to with that. So, so Julian, with, from, you know, Division 1, right, there were, there were some criticisms that came out in the beginning, right? And what, what lessons did you learn from Division 1 and some of those criticisms to help you succeed with Division and make it so much better, especially from a quality of um, life standpoint for the players? I think it's a it's a long term thing, right? Because uh, if you think back to 2016 when we first released the division um, and division vanilla, uh, there weren't any world tiers, uh, there weren't any incursions, uh, there there wasn't underground, there wasn't uh, survival, there wasn't last stand, there wasn't PvP or organized PvP. So it. it was a very, very different experience than the Division One today. Uh, and the learning experience was also looking at Division One and looking at how we could experiment with things on Division One so that we could refine it, tweak it, and, uh, and then apply those uh, learnings to the Division Two. So I, I think we went into Division Two with a, a focus on creating that long-tail endgame activity uh, culminating in that, that sort of ultimate challenge uh, of the raid. Uh, and I think that is the principal major focus. There's lots of like granular little things. Um, if you know and play both games, I'm sure you've mm-hmm. noticed the, the difference between the, uh, the feeling of uh, bullet sponginess uh, that you get. And that's a multitude of small things from animation, uh, hip reactions, sound reactions, armor breaking off, uh, uh, enemy movements, all of those things combined together to reduce that impression that these are superhuman robots that you're, you're shooting and it takes like seven clips to actually, uh, actually, uh, get rid of them. And you mentioned the, you know, the enemy movements. And I think for me, that's my biggest thing that I love about division two versus division one is that the AI for the enemies is so much better and you do have to keep your head on a swivel because if you're focused on one enemy, you've got someone flanking you or two and you're going to get lit up. And, and I love it. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And you know, the, the team uh, worked very hard on, on making, on improving all of the AI, uh, and the, the fact that we put so many more activities and patrols in the living world system meant mm-hmm. that we didn't only have a linear uh, mission-based structure to play with for enemies to be able to move around. Um, mm-hmm. 
So, so it does make a huge difference, and it does give us a, a lot, a many, many more opportunities to uh, to surprise uh, players with with different enemy combat tactics, if you will. And I love that it's a breathing world too, because I mean, there's times like I won't play for a couple of days, and I hop back in, and all of a sudden, one of my control points is gone. And it's been taken back over. And I, I love that about the game, that it is constantly moving. And it feels like it is that constant struggle to take back DC, you know, where Division it's, you didn't really have a lot of that. Yeah, well, Division 1, it was, it was pretty much uh, a uh, static world once you got to the end because uh, that, that's the way the, the systems were built. We did have patrols, but it absolutely is the same sort of uh, engagement that we have in the, the light zone uh, that we have today in the division two. Now, when you look at division one, I mean, the art team did a, a really great job with recreating New York, you know, between Madison square garden, um, grand central station, the bridges and everything. But it seems like they did, they ratcheted it up a, a whole lot for, Division two with a near one-to-one replication of DC. So how heavily involved were you with that part of the project? So one of the things with, with these uh, very big uh, projects, video game projects, is that uh, we're always looking to be able to create them smarter. And uh, create, the creation of the world is one of the most expensive things in terms of production. But it's something that... I love, massive loves, the, the team of artists and uh, level artists, level designers, absolutely adores. And we really love telling stories through the environment. So we did a, a fair amount of work uh, in terms of just pure R&D to find out ways to be more efficient to build the world. And uh, one of uh, our our superb artists um, really pushed for an integration of GIS data. Uh, and this is the type of data that you find in uh, GPSs worldwide. And LIDAR data, which is um, the, the sort of uh, height difference. Uh, and it's all satellite data. And it allows us to create the footprint of the world one-to-one, extremely precisely, down to the location of trees and benches and things like that. And then that reduces the, the workload on the artists within the team by hundreds and hundreds of man months. Uh, there still is a huge amount of hand-making and hand-stitching and that type of thing, but really it comes down to uh, a base that is provided by data that uh, we use and then the storytelling that comes on top of it. That's that's awesome because I mean it's for me because I'm I live about ninety minutes south of DC, so it's nice to like especially the the National Mall going between Washington Monument and Lincoln Memorial. It's there is how I remember seeing it when I'm there in person. You know where the mm-hmm. Smithsonian and all that is. Yeah. It's it was such a fantastic job to be able to just see that and and breed that with them. Now, how the fun the fun thing there is that uh, that kind of open space is very difficult to achieve with the type of game that we're we're doing. So the actual mm-hmm. you know collapse of civilization, uh, post pandemic world that we've recreated, really helps us um, with the technological limitations of being able to recreate huge open spaces too. 
So it's a combination of all of those things that means that we were able to deliver a uh, a better world uh, and make it less expensive uh, and more efficient for the team to do it so that the team could actually concentrate on the fun stuff, which is telling the stories through the, the transformation that uh, is such a big part of the division universe. How did you feel when you got to see all that hard work that the team put in fully realized with the final product? I loved it. Uh, I mean, the world is absolutely my favorite part of the project. It's it, And I, I genuinely believe that our team is uh, the best team out there for the, the actual just creation of a heavily transformed world full of stories. I would have to second that, Julian, because I've played other open world games similar to this, and they don't have the life in it, the heart to it, you know, that it's always constantly changing and it feels like the mechanics are there for the players and a quality of life. Now for you and the dev team, you know, how does it feel to see so much of the community being actively involved from like the screenshots to the cosplay and like their active engagement with not only you on and stuff, but some of the other team members. Uh, I, I think it's I think it's a double-edged sword because there's a a lot of love and it's fantastic to see the uh, the sort of uh, positivity and support and passion that players have, but th- there's there's a fair amount of negativity there too. So uh, if if you can you know uh, take the rough with this move, then it's it's just awesome. And I really like engaging with the community and. Uh, gauging, you know, what things people really hold uh, precious to them and are passionate about. And, you know, a lot of our players are incredibly passionate about the experience. So I think it's a, uh, it's a net positive to me. Unfortunately, I mean, I think that's with any community online and, you know, regardless game, there's always that negative side of it. And it does sometimes drive, away from a community but it's nice to see that when especially within the division more so that when something starts getting toxic you start seeing players rally around people and say no we we got to stamp out that toxicity yeah i think i think it's similar for for a lot of ubisoft games uh but there is a there's a fair amount of negativity that arises once you have anonymity uh, of uh, the internet. I, I don't think that if we got uh, some of the most passionate and engaged people, and I know this from from you know the the uh, elite task force that we run, uh, mm-hmm. if you get a bunch of super passionate, very critical players, they they don't have the same sort of. Uh, it's worse than negativity. It's uh, meanness. There's constructive criticism in it at its heart, and that is absolutely what we need. Uh, we need that perspective, and we need to hear from people who are ultra PvP players who want to go back to the days of uh, of uh, vanilla Division One, where the the uh, dark zone was just full of bullies who who rolled over everybody. It's absolutely essential that we we hear those people, we hear those voices, and we can express uh, our opinions about where the experience should go to. And it's funny you mention that because that's the one thing that turned me off to Division One, as far as the PvP mm-hmm. side, is the dark zone because there literally was groups of like you put it bullies that 
you'd be just kind of doing your thing. You know, you may be doing it solo just for your first time. And they would sit there and just camp extraction zones with high end gear and you had no chance. So, but, but you know, it's, it's fascinating because I know that a huge amount uh, of people really enjoy that sort of testing your build versus everybody else's best build. And the dark zone becomes this huge lawless area. And that's actually something we tried with the occupied dark zone. So it was elective, you know, the players had a choice whether to go there or not. Now these experiments, I don't think they've panned out uh, exactly how we want them to, to have panned out. But the great thing about live games is that we can continue uh, working on it. We can continue experimenting and improving. And with that, you know, Division 2 just had its six-month anniversary. So in, in your eyes, what have you? what has the game achieved that you've been happiest about to date so far? And what area do you still need some work in, in your opinion? I think without doubt, I mean, the conversation at the moment is all about the, the PVP. Uh, and TU6 uh, episode uh, two is for us because we're bringing a huge amount of quality of life fixes, but also improvements in terms of balancing, in terms of the quality and relevance of the end game gear. We're, we're tweaking things that are absolutely essential for those players who have legitimately uh, got frustrated with the end end game experience. Uh, so I'm super excited about TU6 and I, I, you know, I really want us to focus on how we can improve the, the PVP experience going down there. And that's not just in the dark zones. It's also conflict. Now, what can players expect not only from the second part of the DLC, but for the DLC and the division going forward as a whole? Uh, do you mean uh, episode two? Episode two with the episode two. What can they expect so, from that? And then also too is your vision of vision going forward. Okay, um, so episode two really has uh, two major parts to it. Uh, one is the new content, uh, and that's based around uh, the the Pentagon and breaking into the Pentagon. So it's a siege of the Pentagon uh, to take it back from uh, the Black Tusks. Uh, and that's a lot of new content. It's, um, it's some of the best missions that we've uh, released so far. It's a completely unique environment, something that's very evocative as well. Uh, and the second part of uh, episode two, uh, all of these uh, quality of life fixes and improvements to the loot, improvements to the dark zone, more of a reason to go to the dark zone, better matchmaking. So we're ensuring that uh, the uh, server populations are full uh, so that the dark zone never feels empty. So you can really engage in those uh, rogue loops as well. Uh, so we're doing a huge amount of work there, but we're also working on uh, just the first time experience for new players. Uh, I think that the one of the things that um, we could have improved on the Division 2 is it, it's a very hardcore game. It, it's a game that is fairly complex, and if you don't know how to play a cover-based shooter, it's quite difficult to go in. So by improving uh, with subtle things, small things, the, the whole onboarding procedure, I, I really do feel that we're going to allow uh, a much bigger player base to, to come in and play the game too. 
That's that's fantastic to hear as far as your vision for that, because a lot of other games out there won't look at, you know, how do we keep those those fans coming back as well as, you know, the new fans? How do we bring them in and allow them to enjoy these games? Because cover based shooters are unique. I mean, there aren't a ton out there in the world. You know, Divisions 1, like Uncharted's another, um, Last of Us. But you know what? For me, I love those games. And that's where I think Division fit with me. Uh, I I love those games, too. I mean, they're undeniably great games. Absolutely. I'm I'm a huge fan of all of them. So now, one of the things we like to do, Julian, is kind of get some of our listeners to ask questions and stuff like that. So actually, mm-hmm. um, one of our questions came from the Division community who's actually been featured on State of Play for his cosplay. Malik Carter, his question was regards to drop rates, why doesn't World Tier 5 just drop yellow gear instead of the high purple drop count that is currently happening and why is exotic drop rate so low? That is fixed with uh, TU6. So, you know, going back to State of the Game uh, a couple of weeks ago and there'll be a State of the Game next week where we're going to highlight all of the changes to uh, that World Tier 5 gear game uh, I think he'll be very, very happy with the changes that we're making there. Nice. I look forward to seeing what, what's coming because I just got done listening to the uh, State of the Game uh, podcast just the other day. Um, so I'm very excited to see what you guys are cooking up right now, especially after having the ETF there and yeah. and their feedback. So, so, Julian, one last question for you that we like to ask all of our guests we have on our podcast. Kind of leads to our name, too, the Crashing Game Night is... What is your favorite game, regardless if it's a board game, console game, whatever, uh, to play when you're with your family and friends for a game night? Uh, So at the moment, um, I have a a nine-year-old daughter, and uh, we're just getting into role-playing games. Uh, So, uh, you know, I picked up uh, a couple of the early uh, Dungeons and Dragons, and we're removing a lot of the, the complexity in the stats. Uh, but we're playing that sort of imaginary exploration within these fancy worlds, and it's something that she loves, I love to DM, uh, and my wife, who uh, works in video games as well, and used to uh, LARP, uh, she loves it too. So that's that's a great family experience. Uh, if I'm that's thinking awesome. of my family at large um, with my parents, there's this board game uh, called Sherlock Holmes um, Investigative Detective, I think it is. It's uh, by a UK uh, company, a board game um, that is fairly old, uh, and it has just been a staple in our family ever since I was like 15. And there's this long-standing rivalry between all of the family members, my three brothers, my parents, about who is the best detective. And absolutely, without a doubt, I am the best detective. <laughs> That's not a little bias there, is it there, Julian? <laughs> no, no, it's just the truth. So, well, Julian, I want to, you know, once again, say thank you for taking the time out of your day um especially with what's going on with your dog um and with your folks there in france uh come on the podcast do this you um let our listeners kind of hear some of the back ends you know what actually kind of goes on into the gaming um design and everything like so once again absolutely thank you thank you for coming on to the podcast 
And thank you for, for talking to, to me and for supporting the game uh, so well. Uh, you know, uh, I love the positivity and constructive criticism that I get from the community. I think it can only make the, the game better. Uh, no game is perfect, but uh, there is a real passion and a desire to, to improve and to make the best game we can. And that's what we're doing. You know, and to me, every every improvement you guys have been doing, I've loved. It it just it feels natural for the game and the evolution of it. Good to hear. Thank you again. All right, my pleasure. And uh, Julian, we'll definitely uh, we'll keep in touch, and hopefully, we can see each other at E three next year. Cool. Sounds good. Well, Julian, I'll let you get back to your day. No problem. Yeah, Thank you, Anna. All right, have a good day. All right. So definitely want to thank Julian for taking that time out of his day. They're busy over there at Ubisoft um, over in Sweden, uh, Ubi Massive. They've had the uh, a lot of the players come from around the world to go over there for, you know, for a conference meeting of the minds to find out what else they can make better in the division. Um, heck, it's been out for six months already. So it's been it's been a great ride. I, I love playing that game still. Still a great game. It's yeah. still it's, it's a lot still of fun. Do, so, do you yeah. think the do you, do you think the changes from Division One to Division Two were <sighs> quality of life is so total much night and day? Yeah. Night and day. Yeah. yeah, yeah, absolutely. Total like you just completely want to play. I still playing. It gives you that yeah. that angst to continue and and uh, keep playing. Don't get me wrong. I still recommend that people play through one just so they know kind of the backstory, right? And you could just do just the story missions in, you know, probably about 20 hours, maybe, you know, That's if that, not doing mm-hmm. any side questing and stuff. So you'll know the basics for the division. Um, but D2 is just so beautiful. It, the weapon handling is fantastic. I mean, that's a game. Once you find your weapons, you stay with them. I mean, like right now, like I'm at gear 425. I haven't moved much since because the gear rolls that I had on some of my gear None of the high-end stuff has come touch close to touching it yet, so I can't give it up. Like I've got armor that is called that has an ability called turtling on it, where if I'm behind a barrier for five seconds, it auto regenerates my armor for me. So if I've got boost to armor regeneration, I can regenerate my armor real quick without having any kits. Yeah. But I can't replace that stuff because nothing's come close to it. I mean, my my marksman rifle is a 65k damage round. So do you feel that you're like kind of locked like not necessarily high level locked not high level locked per se it's just gear roll locked right now yeah, yeah. i mean because now there are, now there are certain missions or areas that you have to go to in order to get like the chance of those certain drops that'll make you higher now so we'll we'll see i'm looking forward to everything that you know We've got coming in Division 2 with the new expansion and everything. Um, it's going to be going to the Pentagon. Um, later on, we're going to go back to New York for a mission. So it's be great. And, you know, I definitely thank Julian for taking the time out of his day, not only yeah. um, to do our interview, but he took the time out of his day at E3 to meet with us for a few minutes. Super nice yeah, guy. Really nice dude. Yeah. And he's very he's humbled by the community, too, and the fans yeah. and, and everything, too. So. So for uh, Florida listeners out there, definitely want to thank you for crashing game night with us tonight. If you like what you heard, as always, please make sure to hit that subscribe button and leave those comments as well as don't forget to follow us on Twitter, Apple news and our website. I want to say everyone be excellent to each other and stay frosty. Thank you. My fellow nerds for listening. Dude, we, we need to put the cage back in the cage. <laughs>
the cage will never get back in the cage. Lock it up and throw away the key. Dude. Six out of eight. Yeah. Six out of the nine. Six out of the nine, Valkyries. We're getting there, nice. boys. Nice. Time. All righty. Have a good night. Good night. <laughs> <laughs>